0: Good morning. morning. I can't tell you how good it is to be here this morning. What a blessing uh, to be home. Greetings from New York City. Thank you, thank you for this weekend. And I'm sure I speak for all the, the missionaries and church planners here when I say it's been an encouraging weekend, to say the least. And for me, when I get the opportunity to share the vision and the calling and what God is doing um, and is doing around the world, it excites me. And I'm sure these other missionaries would tell you the same thing. It's life-giving, so thank you for the opportunity uh, to be here. And the reminder that we have a family, a family that is praying for us and talking about us and thinking about us. Thank you. And I want you to know this morning that we're praying for you. We have been praying for you and continue to pray for you and to cheer for you because you too are missionaries right here. See, as Christians, the world is not our home, right? Our Father is on His throne and our Savior is interceding for us and the Spirit is guiding and empowering us to go, all of us, if you know Christ as Savior this morning, your call is the same as mine. Go. Same as every other missionary here. It may be a different location, maybe a different context, but the same mission. There's a buzzword that's been going around, living missionally. I guess that's two words. In his book, Surprise the World, Michael Frost says, The definition of missional is the mission of God's people to alert others to the universal reign of God. And that is for all of us as followers of Christ. All of us who have seen the light and know the truth, the call is to make that known to the world. And to some degree, I suppose, part of the reason that you've chosen to live here in Dothan... It's because you have a burden, right? And a calling to make Jesus known right here. Your heart is burdened for your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers right here in Dothan, Alabama. And that's part of the reason I pray that you've chosen to live here. If not, I pray that God would prick your heart today. I pray that God would call you away from here. Maybe to New York City. That's not funny. You <laughs> see, as followers of Christ, as disciples of Jesus, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. Your life is no longer about you. Your life is no longer about your dreams. It's no longer about your comfort. It's no longer about being where my family is. It's no longer about making the most money and how I can do that, and where I can do that. It's no, no longer about where I like the politics. It's now about bringing glory to and being obedient to God Almighty, to pleasing Him, my Savior Christ, and taking the priceless treasure that is the message of Jesus that has changed My life and your life forever. The eternal, glorious, good news to those that don't yet know it. It is news and it is good. The best news. The most important news. Something has happened. God has done something. And the world is walking around us in a fog. In darkness. Many of your neighbors and mine and co-workers because they have not yet heard the news. There are people right here on Cherokee Avenue and in the Highlands and, yes, in New York City on the Upper West Side, everywhere that still don't know the news. You and I are called to take that news. So as much as I appreciate the encouragement and the cheers to go, 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 I am cheering for you. Go, go, go. Now, there are certainly those who have been called to be preachers, right, and evangelists, to stand and proclaim the word of God. I have that call on my life. These missionaries have that call on their life. Pastor Paul, others certainly, but as disciples of Jesus, we're all called to go. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about what does that mean for all of us? I want to share a message that God has been burdening my heart with, a passage of Scripture the last few years. It drives us as a church, a neighborhood church there on the Upper West Side in New York City, and how we do ministry, how we spend our resources, how we, where we focus. The passage is in 1 Peter chapter 3, and I believe this letter gives us a clear directive on how to not only live in the lost dark world as Christians but how to be effective in going all of us right where I, starting right where I am so as you turn to 1 Peter a little context here Peter's writing this letter and I apologize if I confuse you by doing this because I'm still fairly new to glasses and I'm getting worse at seeing so sometimes I can and sometimes I can't um, He's writing this letter, Peter, to be circulated in a region of Asia Minor, which is Galatia, Bithynia, some different towns in there, what is now Turkey. And he's writing this letter to them, and this area has been overtaken by the Roman Empire, right? And the the date of this letter is somewhere around 63 A.D. during the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero, major Christian hater, one of the first and most brutal persecutors and torturers of the followers of the way, Christians. The Roman historian Tacitus writes about this and some of the torture, and he talks about how um, Nero used to dress up Christians in in animal skins and have them run from wild beasts at his parties. And he would put Christians on posts and set them on fire as torches at his get-togethers. And Peter himself is writing from Rome, which is the capital. And so not only does Peter know personally this persecution, but Rome is the center of the universe at this time. It's a big, busy, harsh city and considerably anti-Christian. Reminds me a lot of modern-day New York City. Snapshot of where we're at, just under 9 million people in New York City. Around 5% evangelical, 200 nations represented, 800 dialects of language. Forbes magazine continually rates it as the number one influential city in the world. The largest Chinese population outside of Asia in that city, largest Jewish community out of, of any city in the world, greater than combined totals of Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, Largest metropolitan Muslim population in the Western Hemisphere. Largest Russian population and Russian-speaking population in the Western Hemisphere. And on and on. Every day, close to 200 people die there. And 184 of them are dying without a relationship with Christ to be separated from God forever. 52 unreached people groups there. I think the IMB defines an unreached people group as less than 1% evangelical, something like that. I read that somewhere. On the Upper West Side, it's less than around 3%. We're close to being an unreached people group right in the center of the center. I've heard it said, I heard a missionary once say, "If when Jesus commissioned the disciples and said, Go, go. Go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If if those disciples knew just a few hours away, just a few hours travel, 99% of those people would be represented, they would have given their lives to get there. And so, thank you for sending us there. But New York really represents our nation, really represents the world. What's happening in New York City, I tell people all the time, it's coming to a theater near you, wherever you live. As we look at 1 Peter here, chapter 3, verses 8 through 18 is what I'll read. The message is to us in New York City, from the context of there in Rome, it's to us in New York City, but it's also to us here in Dothan and in America and around the world. So the context is not really the point in that it was difficult. It's good to know that because we can relate. But the call of God is what is important. Is what is the focus. The place is not the focal point. It's obedience. And so let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll begin reading in verse 8. I sent some pretty ragged notes to Karen, so I have no idea what's going to be up there, but just follow along. Sorry about that, Karen. Finally, all of you, Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, move through this place this morning. I don't have anything clever enough to say to change anybody's heart or mind, but Holy Spirit... You do. Change us this morning. Open our hearts and our minds. May we be doers and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. So Peter's the author here, and he's writing to encourage these Christians, right, in this Roman-occupied territory, a difficult time. And throughout the first few chapters of 1 Peter, in this letter, he's encouraging Christians to not lose hope, right? It's a difficult time situation, continue in the faith. He's he's encouraging them to live holy lives, to grow in their faith, grow in their understanding that although they are living in a pagan world, a pagan society, remember that they are chosen people. Live that way, he says. He even says in chapter 2, this is a hard one for me to swallow sometimes, He says in chapter 2, honor the emperor, the Christian hater I told you about. Honor the emperor, he says. What? Obviously, he didn't know the New York governor. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Listen, we think our political situation is bad, (laughs) and it's pretty bad, um, but it was exponentially more difficult at this time. Guess what? That's not the topic of Peter's letter. He gets a chance to write to these people. That's not the topic. What he says is honor the emperor. His focus is Jesus. And so that brings us to chapter 3 and the title of today's message, A Questionable Life. And I want to jump right into the heart of this message, and the focus this morning is verse 15. And we see there, first and foremost, the call to go, the call to be those witnesses... Jesus called it to be, called us to be, is to first set Christ on the throne of my life. In verse 15 right there, he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. The NIV says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. New American Standard, sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. He's saying, settle this in your hearts that Jesus is king in my life, right? Peter's talking to these Christians dispersed throughout this Roman world, this region, they're experiencing persecution, and the counsel he's giving them is not to hide, it's not to protest, it's not to try and save their rights as Christians. His call first is settle this in your heart and life, that Jesus is king. Arrange all your priorities... All your decisions around that one truth. This is so important. See, when Jesus is king, everything else revolves around him and not myself. He's not talking about sometimes. He's not talking about on Sunday or on mission trips only. Not 23 hours of the day. The lens that I see everything through is Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, for each one of us personally, first it means, do I know him? Do I know Jesus? I'd be remiss if I didn't give the gospel this morning. If you're here this morning and you're not sure if Jesus, if you know Jesus, well, have you recognized that you're lost? Have I recognized that I'm lost and I've tried to find my identity and my value through the things of this world? And have I realized that that does not bring peace? Have I recognized that I put myself as God in my heart and my life? That's what we've all done apart from Christ, is we put ourselves on the throne of our lives. And the Bible says that we've all done that and we've all sinned against Almighty God and we're all broken in our sin and in need of a Savior. Have you heard the good news that God, in His love for you and for me, Seeing me in my rebellion, seeing you in even your apathy for the things of God, saw you and pursued you by sending Jesus. He did something about our brokenness, about our rebellion, about our separation from him. He stepped into the world, this broken world. He gave his life for you and for me. He paid the debt for my sin, removing that separation that I might have a relationship with with God Almighty. He conquered sin and death, and He calls us to put our faith in that, to trust in that. All of that is God's grace, and He calls us to respond by faith. Receive the gift and the payment for your sin. Put your faith in Christ as your Savior, your substitute before holy God. Stop trying to get to God Quit trying to earn your way or figure out a spiritual way and every new year try to figure out how to be a better person. The only answer, the only way to peace and to hope is through Christ, is through faith, trusting in Him to restore you. Have you accepted and surrendered to the truth that now my life is not mine? It is God's and His desires have become my desires and are becoming my desires, because that's what He's promised us. So most of you here this morning probably would say, yes, I've done that. Well, perfect. That's the first step in setting Christ as holy Lord of my heart and my life. But that's not the only step. That's not where it ends. I mean, that is salvation. There's no working for it. God's grace gave it and we receive it by faith, but that's when the journey begins. Now the question is, am I living that way? When I ask the question, is Jesus set as Lord and King of my heart? Is that true in my everyday life? What am I learning? What are you learning in Scripture? How am I growing in my faith? What is God teaching me right now in my life? Am I making space in my life to hear Him speak? Am I pressing into Jesus and intentionally pressing every part of my life into His hands? Because listen, the Holy Spirit is speaking every day. The Holy Spirit is calling you every day to go. We walk by situations and people every day that the Holy Spirit is calling us to go to. The danger is that we get comfortable. Once we have accepted the grace of God through Christ and His payment for our sins, we become comfortable, and we begin to tread water a little bit, even though the Holy Spirit is speaking, challenging, challenging me, calling me to step out in faith. You know, when, I, when we went to New York City, I had big plans. We had big plans to plant a church, right? All these ideas of how this is going to happen, it's going to be big and beautiful, scoot over Tim Keller, we're here, right? <laughs> but what I didn't realize was this. God, first of all, was sifting me. All right, if you're betting on me crying, you win. He was sifting me of the things that I was holding on to in life. Yes, I'm a pastor, I'm a minister. I, yeah, I do all kinds of great things. My life, is a, my life is the church, and we're going to plant a church. God, here we go. We're going to be heroes for you and all those things. God said, no, I want all of you. I want you to let go of those things that you didn't even know you were holding on to. So let me encourage you today. Say, God, what am I holding on to that is keeping you from being king? God is constantly working in me. He's constantly working in you. First and foremost, God doesn't need you and I to go. He doesn't need us, right? By his grace, he works through us but what He wants is us. When I go through struggle, when I go through pain, people come to me all the time in New York City, You know, that's one of the big philosophical questions. How could God allow pain and struggle and all the things in the world, and even Christians all the time are asking me. Well, first and foremost, what God wants in my pain and my struggle is for me to have more of Him, and Him to have more of me. So whatever else is happening, however much it hurts, First thing God wants is me to come to him, to put him on the throne, to keep him on the throne of my life. My perspective is different. My perspective often reveals that I'm on the throne. When the things of my life, the difficulties get me so off track and, and, and start to chip away at my faith, I start to realize, well, that's because I'm on the throne and I have my standards of what I deserve and what God should be doing. And God says, no, I want to be on the throne. Because when Jesus is king, what he says goes, goes. I remember years ago, I was doing music at a revival uh, around here somewhere, in op or somewhere like that. And I remember Dr. Robin Jumper was an evangelism professor down at um, Baptist College of Florida. He got up and he was preaching. I remember he got up there and he said, listen, if G-, and he's country boy through and through. He said, listen. Jesus is king, so if Jesus says we get out here and run around these trees and pick up acorns, that's what we're going to (laughs) do. It's kind of funny, but that's true. When Jesus is king in my life, I'm ready and willing to do what he calls me to do, what he wants. When other things are on that throne, then I have other considerations, like, well, I don't know, I don't want to get too personal, so I won't use any examples, but... You know what I'm saying. We all have those things like, oh, maybe that. Jesus, set him on the throne of your life. Peter uses no confusing language here. Surrender the throne of your life, of your heart. Sanctify, set apart, revere Christ as Lord and leave him there. And that is the foundation of. That is the foundation of missions. That's the foundation of obedience, first and foremost. Secondly, when we do that, we begin to live a life that demonstrates hope. Demonstrates the hope within me. He says there, continues in verse 15, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Live questionably. The original word for that defense word there is apologia, right? We've translated in the English language as apology, to, meaning to make an excuse for, right? To make amends for a mistake made. Well, the original meaning is the opposite of that. It means to make a defense, to give an answer for. Remember, the Christians that Peter is writing to are living in a hostile surrounding culture, right? Hostile to Christianity, hostile to the one true God, hostile to morality. And so the language Peter uses here in this passage is particularly interesting to me because I always identify with Peter, mumbling and stumbling a lot, but this language that he uses, look at verse 8 through 12. He says, all of you have unity, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, giving up retribution, bless. See, he's describing a life lived walking by in the Spirit. Seek peace, he says, pursue good, bridle your tongue. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like the Peter I know. The religious zealot, remember? Always ready to fight the tough guy, fisherman. Always jockeying for position with Jesus. Cutting the Roman soldier's ear off. Even rebuking Jesus at one point when Jesus talked about suffering himself. But something changed in Peter. Something changed in him when he encountered the risen Christ When Christ ceased to be a means to an end for Peter, he's championing our cause here with the Romans. He's championing my expectations. And he met the risen Christ and realized Jesus is indeed who he said he is. Jesus is the end. Much like early Peter, we can get drawn into battles We start to think that going in Christianity is about battles in our culture. We get consumed with the things that the world is consumed with, right? Social causes, politics, defending our rights. But what Peter found out is that where the power is, the power for obedience, the power to bring glory to God, is with Christ. And the calling for you and I, first and foremost, is to set Christ at the center of my life, And live out Christ in a way that the world agrees with me, respects my position, and gives me my rights. No, that's not what he said. Live in such a way that demonstrates hope. That demonstrates Jesus. He's not talking about a t-shirt or a sticker on my car. See, this is where the rubber hits the road in being everyday missionaries and living missional, being in the boat, having gospel feet, all those things. The rubber hits the road right here. See, the assumption of this passage, he says, be ready to give a reason to anyone who asks. Someone is asking, what is this hope you have? What is going on in your life? Why are you like you are? Why are you who you are? This is a questionable life, a life that's foreign to our neighbors, foreign to the world. But it's powerful testimony to the lost and broken world around us. Lost people, bottom line, lost people should be asking you and asking me about the hope they see. Jesus that they see in my life. And so here's the question. Who's asking Who's asking you? What's this hope you have? See, kind of what we've done in the church is we've said, you know what, they're not asking, but I'm gonna go tell them anyway. So let's all get together on Saturday. We're gonna go out and we're gonna we're gonna make them open their doors and I'm gonna say, Hey, you know what my hope is? (laughs) Listen, if they don't see hope in your life and no one's asking you, they don't care. Like Pastor Paul says all the time, people out here driving by, they don't care what's going on in here. They have to see the hope in my life. Not saying that God can't use those things. But first and foremost, we must be demonstrating living those sort, sorts of lives. We have all kinds of strategies and plans how we can tell people the hope. So why are not more people asking? If you're like me, my answer to that question is, well, I More people should be asking. Now, we would love to say, it would be very convenient to say, well, you know, the world is just lost. They hate Jesus, so they hate us. They're lost and going to hell. They want to go to hell, a lot of them. They just don't care. That would be convenient, right? Peter's talking to some people who could say the same thing. Ah, forget Forget them. We're over here. They're over there. It's just getting worse and worse. The Lord will come back one day. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying demonstrate hope in your life. Be different. Be different than your neighbors. Don't allow your neighbor to draw you into an argument that has nothing to do with eternity. The battles are not on the debate lines and they're not on Instagram and Facebook. The battle is me engaging in someone's life who's... Living in darkness and broken and demonstrating Jesus to them. That's going. But why are people not asking? Well, I would say one of two reasons, probably. Number one, I'm not living that kind of life. I'm not living a questionable life. I'm kind of where I am, that's how I act. I've got, I was talking to a friend just yesterday. He was telling me how it's so easy to live in compartments. Well, I've got my job, you know, and then I've got church and my church friends, and then I've got this. So we're not living that way to to spark a question. Or, number two, there's no one in my life who's lost. Well, When I was a youth pastor in Pilgrim Home down here, I I would get that all the time. I don't know any lost people. Well, if we want strategy, there's a strategy. Find some lost people. Find some lost people and get your life in their lives. Now that seems simple, it seems kind of cliche, but it is critical. Alan Hirsch said in his book, The Forgotten Ways, he says, Our church has a distinct culture. We could agree with that, as do the people we are hoping to reach. If we fail to go to the people, then to encounter the gospel meaningfully, they must come. This is the inbuilt assumption of the attractional church. It requires that the non-believer do all the cross-cultural work to find Jesus, not us, and that's not the calling of Christ. The calling to us is to go and to cross those cultural and every other boundary to get to them, and that's why it's such a blessing. We do it geographically, and many of our missionaries are doing that culturally and and doing that, but there's some cultural barriers here in Dauphin, Alabama, too. And some of them we're not willing to get near. When I apply this to my personal life, it means I'm called to put Jesus, who's in me, who's on the throne of my life, first and foremost, before those, intertwined with those, who look different, speak different, believe different, vote differently than me. And when I'm obedient to do that, God does the heavy lifting of convincing and bringing the harvest. The Holy Spirit works through our lives, and they begin to notice a difference in me and ask, what is the deal? So when Jesus said, go, he was was not speaking to an organization primarily, right? He was speaking to you and to me and to every disciple. Go every day. Organize your lives in such a way as to have Christ as king and have lost people see that king. It's critical. We come together. We gather together, church family. We encourage one another. We hold each other accountable. We guard uh, one another. We guard our hearts. We cheer one another on to grow in our relationship with Christ. But then we must see our lives as mission fields. This is the tricky part, it takes prayer, it takes sensitivity to the Spirit, but here it is. The key is to intentionally merge my life into the life of a lost person, at least a lost person. And not in a manipulative way, not with one hand on a track, but to love them to pray that God would give me love for them and that He might shine His light through my life into their lives. And I'm praying for it. I'm ready for those moments where I get an opportunity to share that hope. The best thing one of our summer interns, we have college interns come up for the summers. I shared this the other day. The best thing they say to me is at the end of the summer, they say, I can do this at home, right? We can do this at home. It's not a big system. It's about reaching the people, demonstrating Christ all around me. I had a a young lady last summer. She came up at the end of summer. She told me, she said, Pastor Steve, I was nervous. At the beginning of the uh, summer, you said it's about relationships. It's about getting in people's lives. And she said, you know, evangelism is not my strength right? I, I don't, I'm not good at that. I don't like confrontation. So I would just, you know, she had in her mind kind of a box that somebody has built in her mind of what evangelism is. She said, so I was nervous about it. I, I, I didn't know how I was going to do this summer. She goes, but now I realize it's just about making a friend. It's just about being willing to make a friend. And she had the, she had the opportunity over and over and over again to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because she loved someone. She got in the community and began to build friendships with people. And it doesn't take long, especially in New York City, because they don't mince words. Like, what? What's with you? What are you going, what are you going to do? Why, why are you saying that? Why are you acting that way? She got the opportunity to share Christ several times. I shared the story also uh, yesterday that uh, we have some friends that we've been... Kind of trying to to show Christ to for about five years now. Another another family and um, our kids have played together and we um, come over, go over each other's houses and uh, for dinner and all that kind of stuff. Do all kinds of stuff together and they're lost. Uh, he's an atheist. She's an agnostic and very intellectual, of course, and uh, logical thinking and all those things. Um, and they invited me after the pandemic to go to their daughter's be mitzvah. It's not a bar mitzvah, not, that's a boy's ceremony. It's not a bat mitzvah, that's a girl's ceremony. Be mitzvah is a, a gender neutral bar mitzvah. And I didn't even realize that their daughter was going through that uh, situation. And so I was like, "Uh, sure, I'll come. They're They're Jewish but secular Jewish, they don't believe, they just kind of go through, it's, it's, you know, the customs, the community, the family, um, and the mom doesn't even, doesn't darken the door of a synagogue, well, they invited me, so I went, and I was sitting in the back of the, the synagogue, you know, the Ten Commandments is beautiful in there, and this Jewish synagogue, and um, during this service, I'm praying the whole time, you know, and the the female rabbi came out, and she brought the Torah out, and they spread it out, and they're saying prayers, and doing all this stuff, and, you know, I'm just in prayer the whole time, praying for them, um, praying that God would be glorified, and um, anyway, in the middle of the service, the family has the honored seats right up front where the rabbi is. The mother, who's our friends, the couple, she comes, turns around, comes walking down the aisle. Now, there's just a Family there, and there's some of her friends. And she comes down the aisle to me. She's bawling, crying. And she embraces me. I'm sitting there. I'm like, uh oh. She's embracing me. I'm like, I have no idea what's going to happen here. And she said, She got down and got on my face. She said, Steve, thank you for being here. Thank you for loving us enough to be here, because I know what you believe. I've shared the gospel with her many times. I know what you believe, and yet you love us. And you're showing, showing love to us. You're here. It's overwhelming. And she said, what made me get up and come back here is, I was sitting there, and I don't have any use for any of this stuff. The prayers, the Torah, none of that. But it occurred to me, that the love that you and your family have shown us just in being our friends, when you know that we believe something completely different than you, has made me realize in this moment, as I look at all this and I think about God and I think about what you've said about Jesus and all those things she said, it made me think maybe. Maybe there's something there. Maybe that's true. But I just want. To thank you. And she got up and walked back in. Her family's like, what is going on back there? (laughs) And just last week they invited us over. And in the middle of dinner, she basically, they basically said, Tell us the gospel. She said, I said, I'm preaching tomorrow, so I gotta go to bed. She said, What are you preaching? I was like, (laughs) ding ding ding. Whatever I was preaching, I told her I was preaching the gospel. (laughs) and preached it. No, I I was preaching the gospel. (laughs) But it's demonstrating Christ, putting our lives in front of them. It's not easy because it takes investing my life in the life of someone who's lost. And someone who's lost doesn't really fit my culture, doesn't fit this culture. Many of the lost people that we know won't, won't come here. And this is home, this is family, this is comfortable for me. Praise God for it. But I've got to get out there. It's not just to give a presentation, but it's to ask God to to produce a love and a compassion for those around me that, that are different than me. And so that I do life alongside them, that we get out of our cocoon. Listen, in our culture, what has happened is the line of division has gotten deeper and wider than I can remember. And there's one group in that corner and one group in that corner. And we as Christians have just been like, well, I mean, this is pretty much more like what I am over here. And we've gotten in a corner. We're not called to do that. We can't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Even though he fit better in heaven, he came, calls us to go, figure out. It's a very practical thing. How in my life can I get around someone lost? How can I get my life into their life? And not to be manipulative, but to love. And listen, if the Holy Spirit is living within you, and if Jesus is king of your heart, it's not going to take long as you develop a friendship. That's going to come up. He calls us to demonstrate Jesus. It's not just a mission trip. Although those are awesome, and we should do those, and God uses those. But the world has rejected Jesus. Us, as an organization, putting out statements. Some research shows that by 2030, there'll be more Christians in China than in the United States. So it's nothing to do with the cultural landscape and it's difficult and, well, America's going... No, it's about obedience. And it's about our colleagues and our neighbors, our peers. You know, sometimes it feels good... To go to the hungry and to give a meal. And we do that in New York City some, to clothe the poor. And that's what Jesus has called us to, to do that. But what about my co-workers? What about my colleagues? What about those that, that don't need me? That's difficult because all of a sudden my pride starts to kick in because they judge me a little bit or they see me as Weirdo, maybe, or you believe that, or you know, it doesn't, it doesn't jive with the, with the vibe. Well, I'm using all these cool terms, um, of you know, the workplace or wherever we're at. No, we've got to break down those walls and live on mission. We don't have to be so clever. Jesus is attractional. That's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. Attracts. Most of the people I meet, a lot of people in New York City and where we are, have never even met a Christian. They don't, I mean, they don't know a Christian. They don't know that they've met one. All they know is what they see on the media, how we're represented in the media. And part of that is because they look at only certain things and go in certain circles. Part of it, too, is because we stay out of those circles. We've kind of got our own cocoon going on. We have all of our own stuff. We don't really need to venture. We don't have to into those uncomfortable situations, but we are called to, and it's difficult. I mean, I walk down Columbus Avenue angry a lot of times uh, if I just happen to walk by the news before I leave my apartment. <laughs> I look at everybody up and down that street, because on the Upper West Side, they have a particular political persuasion. I try to not think about politics as much as possible, but if I catch some news, I'll walk down, and i like, yeah, you think you're better than me, don't you? <laughs> It's my flesh, you know what I mean? But I've got a set in my heart. You know what? I reject it. I push that away. That's not what I'm called to be about. I'm called to be about demonstrating Jesus. It's uh, interesting. When we have these gen centers, these college kids come for the summer and they spend time with us, um, they serve all throughout the city. And every neighborhood's different, and there's different opportunities to serve and demonstrate the love of Christ, serve the community. In our neighborhood, you don't necessarily give away things, give away water, food food, any of those kind of things. We don't take surveys. We're trying to, we're trying to get in, merge into the community and love them as neighbors, show them that we're neighbors. And so I have uh, the college students, they ask me, what do we do while we're here? Because in other neighborhoods, they're like, you know, unloading trucks and doing all this stuff. I said, well, what do you like to do? Let's figure out that. So last summer, we had some uh, college students come and they started playing volleyball over in the park, right by our apartment. And they met people. They began to meet people and develop friendships, and I told them, "Don't invite anybody to church." Because see, what happens is we begin to see people as, okay, I'm going to get them to church. How can I get them to church?" It all becomes about giving an invite to church. I said, "No, don't invite them to church. I want you to develop a friendship with them. At the very end of summer, you can invite them to the last service that you're at but just develop a friendship interesting enough a few weeks into the summer they said hey pastor steve you know we're playing volleyball but we're not we're we're really not making any friends we're really not making any connections i said well what time is it over and they said well it's over at nine but we leave at eight because we have a bible study i said i'm not against bible studies but i said do me a favor wait till the end Stay all the way to the end, because I guarantee you those young 20-something-year-old people, kids are going to be like, hey, you want to go get a taco? You want to go grab something? You want to go do something? And so, sure enough, they stayed to the end. All of a sudden, they were going out to dinner with people. They were inviting them out to Long Island, to their family's home, and all kinds. They're building these friendships that they still have today. And on the last Sunday of the summer, when we were thanking them and sending them off, they invited them to church, and we had, I think, five of them come to church. Well, we just baptized one of them last two weeks ago. And when she came, praise God. <laughs> when she showed up, she said, I just came because I love uh, so-and-so. We made friends, and she told me about this, so I came. And she goes, I don't believe any of this. I'm a, and she doesn't, you know, sometimes people don't realize they're being offensive. She goes, I'm just a little too logical for that. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. I'm an idiot, but um, (laughs) she said, I'm a little too loud. You know, somebody raised from the grave and dead, but I think this is cool. Like, you guys love each other. There's a vibe here that I really, I enjoy. I love it, and so she was there. She said, you could, I talked to her a couple weeks ago before I baptized her. I said, she told me, when I first got here, you couldn't convince me. If you'd have put full court pressure on me, Press on me, I would have said, I'm out of here because there's no way. You couldn't have convinced me or argued me into it. She goes, Now, my friends that I tell I've accepted Christ, they, they tell me I'm, I must be crazy, and, and I don't care. They couldn't convince me that it's not true. I know that it's true, and I can't explain that, but I know it's true. I know Jesus is the Son of God. He died for my sins, rose from the grave, and I accept that by faith that He paid the price for my sins, and I confess that. Said, Praise God. And everybody in our church is trying to figure out who was the one who did that. It's hard to figure out because everybody had a part in it. Because everybody build friendships and relationships with one another. But anyway, it's that, if there's an outreach strategy, people ask me all the time, what's your guys' outreach strategy? I said, <laughs> if I preach my heart out and we get in the Word and we disciple one another and we're growing as disciples and we leave this place and we, we need to have any other strategy than that, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm supposed to do music again because that's what I feel like. We are the outreach strategy. We live in such a way that people say, what is this? Who is this person? What's going on in your life? Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that you may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, do not decrease, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. God has called us to live side by side with those that are broken and hurting and lost, and demonstrate Jesus, and demonstrate the hope that we have. Sorry, time's running. Out. I'll run to this last point. Finally, be prepared to give a reason. I hope you didn't misunderstand. It's not just about making friends, like, hey, and hopefully by osmosis, they'll get Jesus. Wow, you're such a nice guy. Maybe I should repent of my sins. No, be ready to give a reason. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you. Be ready to have those difficult conversations. Last summer, we, we went through a book called um, Before You... Uh, uh, let's see, <laughs> what was the name of that book? Uh, Before You Lose Your Faith, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church. And it's basically talking about deconstructing your faith in this, this whole thing that's going on. It talks about social justice, uh, gender, sexuality, all the difficult things. Politics, and it just goes through it, and we had discussions about it. What, what does the Bible say about this? What is actually happening? And it all pointed back to Jesus, right? It all... It all pointed us back to what the real issue is. But I wanted to equip them to be able to have these conversations because that's the stuff that people are saying. That's the stuff that people are talking about. And we should be equipped to be able to go into any situation, to have any question. We had one night where I told everybody, write out your heart. The question that you have nightmares about that somebody's going to ask you because you're a Christian. Write those down and let's talk about it. And we talk about it. How do we answer that in a biblical way, in a wise way? in a way that we can demonstrate the hope that's within us. So be equipped, he says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone asked for the reason. I tell people, if you want a big knockdown drag out worship service, there's a huge church right in right past Times Square, Hillsong Church. Now they have I said this the other day, they have some pastor problems and some issues, some doctrine issues. But if, you, if that's what you're looking for, there's a great church there. If you want to set up tables and give out groceries and stuff, which is awesome, there's another ch- there are churches all over Manhattan that do that. We're going to make disciples. We're going to dig into the Word. We're going to dig into one another's lives. We're going we're to push each other to have Jesus as King in our lives. We're going to study Scripture in a way that we can communicate it to others and communicate our faith, and then we're going to go do it. See you next week. You know, when I was a kid, we used to, my dad used to buy these can, it was like a blue round can of cheese balls. I don't know if you remember the, I don't know who made them, but we had them. But I was only allowed to have them, have them at certain times, you know, in a certain amount. But I was uh, inquisitive and hungry and rebellious. And I would go sneak and get some of the cheese balls. And I would, thought I was cool, you know, be like... Who's been, who's been digging in the snacks? In no, not me. Well, why are there cheese prints all over the house? Why is there cheese, cheese ball prints on your door of your bedroom? Oh, yeah, that was me. Um, but I don't know. I thought of that when I thought of it as us as believers. There ought to be, if Jesus is a cheese ball, there ought to be... <laughs> I know, it's a bad analogy. There ought to be cheeseball prints all over this city. Right? We have the answer. We have the hope. We should be having that influence everywhere that we go, and we should see our lives as mission fields. I'll say one last story, and I'll close. I think I may have told this before, but I remember when my daughter Sophie was a senior in high school at Providence and then Bible class or something. They were talking about Romans chapter one, talking about what if they've never heard. And, you know, what about the guy on the island or the guy in the desert that never hears and all those things. And I remember Sophie just she wasn't making any big statements. She just said, I'm just it just seems unfair. Some people are born like in Dothan. There's a church on every corner and there's, you know, Christian Christians everywhere and then some people are born out in the middle of nowhere and there's no there's no Christians there's no Bibles there's no nothing I don't know that just is is that fair I said well first of all we need to talk about what's fair what's not fair what we think is fair what God says is fair two different things but why is that not fair God has called you and me to go to that man on the island, to go to that man on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, to go to that guy in the other neighborhood in my my, uh, city, to go to that guy right next door to me. And is it unfair that I say, you know what, no, I'm going to chase the American dream. I got dreams, I got plans, I got a portfolio, I'm going to take care of all that, I'll be a member of the church, I'll even serve in the church. But I'm busy, God, so why are you so unfair, God? He's called us to go. We are the means by which he has chosen to bring the message of the good news to the world around us. There are people all around you that are living in darkness, that are broken and will die and be separated from God forever. We have to start living in such a way that we demonstrate the hope. It's not a manufactured thing. It means that I go next door, I begin a conversation, we have them over for dinner, we go over for dinner, we go to each other's kids' ball games, we start doing life together. Yes, they're not Christians. There's things that they do that I wouldn't do and that I don't do. And all of a sudden, before you know it, these conversations start happening late night on the back porch. And before you know it, they see you struggling when your kids are doing the wrong thing and you're struggling with that or when you bury a loved one or a parent. They see you grieving, but they see joy and they see hope of Christ. And and they want to know, what do you have? That's how you and I, every single one of us in here, are called to go. And so, having gospel feet, getting in the boat, going, is first of all about setting Christ as king of my heart and life. Because when he is king, and I understand that my life is no longer about me, then he leads and transforms me into his image. An image that the lost world finds confusing and has questions about. And I'm ready, always ready, prayerfully, letting the Holy Spirit lead, ready to give a reason for the hope that's within me. I just want to close by saying, thank you, Calvary. Thank you that you are going as a community. This weekend represents your heart and desire to reach the lost, to go. To send us supporting missionaries and church planners, sending and cheering and praying and supporting me and my family. You are going with us. When people say, what do you need in New York City? You know, they typically think I'm going to say some tables or uh, tables or a projector or whatever. I said, we need time. We just need time. This What we're talking about this morning, this takes time. This is not an easy, hey, do you know where if you die today, do you know where you're? this is investing in people's lives that are lost? And so you are giving us that time. Thank you so much. Thank you. By having a weekend like this to encourage us to hear our stories, the missionaries, it excites us to share what God is doing. And putting a weekend like this together also challenges you to live your life on mission right here and beyond as well. Philippians 1, 3-5, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Thank you, family, for sending us and for going yourselves. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. God, those of us who have bowed at the foot of the cross and have been covered by the blood of Jesus Those of us who deserve nothing but condemnation, but have been set free by Jesus, have been shown the grace of God and have been redeemed. We give you praise, Lord God. You are King, King of kings and Lord of lords. Whether we set you anywhere or not, that is an eternal truth, and we praise you for it. God, help us to be faithful to set Jesus every day on the throne of our hearts and lives to, to pursue Jesus. And Lord, open our eyes to those around us that are hurting, living in darkness, struggling, God. May we be salt and light. May we demonstrate the hope that is within us and be ready to share what that hope is and that is Jesus, Lord. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.